The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us. We know a little bit about the White Sox plans beginning the 2023 season. One of them includes Romy Gonzalez and Lenin Sosa's involvement to the big league roster. Now, I bring that up because there's a lot to talk about regarding the big league roster and the minor leagues. We're talking about internal depth options, as really that's been a theme of our offseason at Future Sox. We want to thank the Future Sox listeners because they did participate in sort of a mailbag that we opened up on Twitter at Future Sox. You can follow us. We'll answer a lot of them on this here episode. And It does relate to what I mentioned about the second base position, as well as some of the things that are going on with development. So we'll get to that shortly. But first and foremost, let's kick off this episode with a discussion regarding the international signing period. Now, this matters because, you know, in previous episodes, James, we talked about Marco Patti and the value that he's had to the Chicago White Sox organization. And this is his time. Now, you know better than most about how the international workings go on and the way that they invest their money, let's say, and how they invest their money. You've been on it for years. The signing period opens January 15th. So that's when the announcements can be made official about players who are acquired in the marketplace. However, you have information about some of the players that the White Sox are planning on signing officially. And I'm just curious how you get that information so soon, how these names get leaked, and just the entire process of it all, as you did write an article previewing the international signing class at SoxMachine.com. So let's kick off the conversation there, James. Give me all that you know about this process. Yeah, thanks. You know, it's uh, a lot of Instagram stalking, I will say. like that That's helpful Like once you get some of these names, because, look, you don't really know – um, so I will say like Francis Romero, really good follow. He's a Dominican baseball reporter. You know, it's been out for quite some time now, like guys like Juan Uribe Jr., right? That's a $200,000 signing. The White Sox will sign him Sunday. 
Rafael Alvarez is another name. He's a Cuban outfielder for $300,000. And look, the White Sox have had pretty decent luck with guys like that. Like Brian Ramos, a guy who we talk about all the time, who's on the brink of the top 100. He was a $300,000 signing out of Cuba. So, you know, just because it's 300K doesn't mean that the player's in nothing, right? So, you know, there's those two guys. And then MLB Pipeline was the first ones. They reported Luis Reyes. He's the White Sox biggest signing in the upcoming class that I have as of right now. So, you know, just for sources that I've built up over the years, I confirmed Jose or uh, Luis Reyes is getting $700,000, which pretty good. The thing that's interesting about Luis Reyes. So 17 year old, he's listed as the 41st overall prospect in the class at MLB pipeline, but he's also the top ranked Dominican pitcher. So, you know, there's a Cuban pitcher and there's a one from Korea that's really good that's going to the Pirates. But he's the top-ranked Dominican starter. So that's to start with. But it's it's kind of a weird profile because he's in the States. So he's he's grown in excess of 6'3 now. He's originally from the Dominican Republic. But he's been pitching for the Miami Miracles here in the United States. So I think technically he could have been eligible for, I think, the 2024 MLB draft. But he's choosing to sign... Um, instead. So projectable with a loose arm plus fastball, other pitches on the way. He's already touched 94, Mike, and he's 17. I mean, you know, I did tweet out some, some photos and some video of this pitcher. So, you know, I think you just add him to the stable of guys who they've added lately and they've put an emphasis on adding pitchers. And, you know, we talked about Christian Mena a ton. Like he signed for 250 K out of the Dominican Republic. And, you know, Reyes is getting 700,000. So 700,000 is significant because pitchers don't really get that much on the market. So, you know, it's a pretty good signing, I think. But then, you know, there's, there's multiple other signings that I've confirmed, but there's really just not much on the players. Outfielder Abraham Nunez Jr. Um, is in my international preview. And then D'Angelo Tejada um, is a shortstop and Angelo Hernandez um, is a catcher from Venezuela. So, Look, it's really not very much money. I mean, if Reyes is 700K, I mean, you're looking at they've spent under $2 million, um, which is what I think, you know, maybe you want to get into a little bit here. I mean, the White Sox have $5.2 million to spend. I've only accounted for just under $2 million of it. So, you know, we could have some surprises this week. This is the last time we'll talk, obviously, on air before these signings become official. So, I mean, we could get more news this week. At least I hope so. So as I intro this podcast, I talked about internal depth and development and the second base position. And you mentioned Brian Ramos. I mean, Jose Rodriguez is another one. And we're looking at guys now like Lloydel Chapei. The value in the international class that's kind of shown itself within the White Sox organization, I think, is something of note. And, you know, you're throwing names at us and we, you know, the casuals, these are so unknown to us. What is it about the players that the White Sox have been targeting over the years that stand out to you? Is there a trend? Because I'm curious. I think it's fascinating to me, especially on the pitching side, how the international player is different from maybe the college player stateside. What separates the international player from the stateside player and what makes them so enticing? Yeah, so I mean, they're just like so much younger. And I think it's part of the one of the issues the White Sox have. Like, they're not notorious for 
agreeing with these kids, you know, agreeing to deals with these kids when they're 13 or 14 years old. And, you know, I've never really got a straight answer on that. Like we talked to Ben Badler of Baseball America and some others about it. Like, you know, it's kind of been said to me that Jerry Reinsdorf just, you know, doesn't like it because it's just kind of gross, which like it is, but like the rest of the industry is doing it. So, you know, like while Marco Patty's done a really good job and a lot of these guys have matriculated stateside and some of them are the top prospects in this system, they've always kind of held back money waiting on older Cuban talent, right? And Oscar Colas was one of those guys last year. But something that looked like a trend breaker a little bit, they signed Eric Hernandez last year, a guy we've talked about a lot on the podcast, for $1 million out of the Dominican as a 16-year-old. And that's one of the things that I've been a little bit critical of. They just they don't sign Dominican teenagers in this marketplace that often. And, you know, it's like the the biggest demographic. Like if you look at some of the top players, that's where the top players come from. Um, and the White Sox really just kind of don't do it, right? And it's why, like, I feel like their strategy is a little bit puzzling this year too, just because, like, they have so much money left and, like, everybody's pretty much accounted for. Now, I will say there are seven or eight Cuban prospects that I'm not going to get into today that are, like, out there in some form that are between the ages of, like, 15 and 20 that, look, the Sox could just, like, it could just get announced that they're signing one of these guys and that's where they're, like, $3 million's going and I wouldn't be surprised, but that's just not really out there yet. And, you know, one of the fears, and I really hope, you know, this isn't something that comes to fruition, but, I mean, they have $5,284,000 to spend in this marketplace. This is the first year in a while where they're allowed to trade bonus pool space. They're not allowed to trade any of it until Sunday. So look, that could be a thing. Like they could trade some of this space. Like they shouldn't because, you know, it's a finite resource and they should spend the whole five million on guys. I just I don't really know where the money's going. So, you know, one more quick thing before we move on or, you know, talk about something else related to this market. Luis Danis Morales, we've talked about before. He's a six foot three, like I think two hundred pound Cuban pitcher. He's one of the top ten prospects in the international class. He's signing with Oakland. Um, and it's supposedly, it is like three or three and a half million, something like that. Um, I had learned that the White Sox offered him two and a half million dollars. Um, and you know, the White Sox even told the player and the agent something along the lines of, you know, they could get more money once the period opened, like via trade essentially. Um, and the player signing with Oakland instead. So the, the thing that's interesting about that to me is, it seems to indicate that they have 2.5 million in their pool still that was available. So that could go to somebody. But if that's true, like they still have other signings that I'm really not aware of because they, there's no way that the six players that we're aware of is totaling $2.5 million right now. So, you know, I think there's just some more information coming that we don't quite have yet. And like you said, all, a lot of this stuff can become official on Sunday, January 15th. That's really good information, James. Be sure you're following him at JamesFox917 on Twitter and read his article on SoxMachine.com previewing this current uh, international class, the 2022-2023 international signing period. You'll see video and examples and reasons why the White Sox were looking at the players that they ultimately end up signing, uh, the names that James mentioned. But here's something that uh, I'd like to get into as well related to the conversation that we're having. And we want to thank our listeners again. Uh, this one from Wayne, we posed questions uh, in open forum. We, we wanted to get questions 
from our listeners. And Wayne at RichWP01 on Twitter asked about some of the guys in the previous international class, including Ladell Chapei and Ryan Burroughs, a Panamanian, Eric Hernandez as well, as you mentioned, a younger prospect, all these guys outside of Chapei, younger. What are some of the information that you have on those players specifically because playing in the Dominican Summer League, Chapei dominated but played above um, his age range. But also, we talked to Bill Mitchell. I want to also reference that conversation of Baseball America on a previous episode. You know, We didn't get into a lot of it, but Bill had a lot of information about these players. So, James, do you want to share some of the stuff that you learned from Bill as well as some of the stuff that you know about the specifics uh, Wayne asked here? Yeah, sure. And, you know, these guys were... So, like, Chapei is interesting just because, like, we've kind of talked about how hard he was to rank and we just, like, don't really know how good he is, right? Because he's playing against teenagers on dirt fields. But, like, it seems like he might start, like, as high as Winston and the White Sox think he's going to move pretty quickly. Like, James Fegan included him in a piece, like you know, maybe like a month or so ago, the White Sox are really high on Lloyd El They think he could be, you know, a future second baseman. He hits left-handed with pop. So, you know, that's a guy to definitely keep an eye on this year. Bill told us Eric Hernandez looked better in instructs than he did in the regular season. I guess he struggled with a knee injury in the Dominican. And obviously like we didn't see any of that, but the numbers were, you know, a little bit underwhelming for his first season in the organization. Couple of guys that are interesting. Like Ryan Burroughs is a guy that I think is going to be in the White Sox top 30 for every publication that releases something. Um, so he, you know, he was not in instructs because Bill Mitchell told us that he went back to Panama to like graduate from high school. Um, but he, you know, will definitely be stateside this year. I'm curious to see if he's right in Kannapolis or if he goes to extended spring. But, you know, I think he's 18 now. You know, he posted a 120 WRC plus in the DSL. Other teams have been asking about him in trade. So yeah, he's just like a six foot two athletic shortstop that has shown that he can hit. Like that's pretty exciting. And then another guy that was, you know, impressive in instructs that I didn't really know much about either that Bill brought up to us was Arnold Arnold Prado. Six foot three, hundred and ninety-five pound outfielder from Venezuela. Um, Bill said specifically he impressed league scouts during instructional league action. In twenty-nine games in the Dominican Summer League season, he hit three forty-five, four fifty-seven, four sixty, uh, walked at a fifteen percent clip, and posted a one fifty-five WRC plus down there. So I guess that's just like out of those type of guys in that group, I would say those are the guys to keep an eye on. Um, and then obviously you know, some of the pitchers and instructs. If you go back and listen to that episode, I think Bill said Jonathan Cannon was impressive, but I think the highlight of that show is probably Noah Schultz. If you, you know, would you agree? I mean, I think that's, that's the guy that he kind of highlighted to us was just how good Schultz looked in those limited samples. And uh, that's a guy that I think people should be interested in seeing, you know, as soon as he gets to full season ball. Yeah, Bill saw him once. I believe he told us that he was able to catch him throwing about an inning. We want to thank Wayne for the question. Really appreciate your engagement and following us at Future Sox. We want to thank everybody again for participating. When we come back, we have more White Sox baseball answering your questions on the Future Sox podcast. Welcome back to the Future Sox podcast. Thanks for listening. If you are a Patreon member, no ads for you. Go to SoxMachine.com and sign up. Uh, James, how was 108 Fest, by the way? 
it was a good time, man. It was, you know, you you run into a lot of listeners and you put names to faces, and you know, everybody was uh, super nice. And yeah, it was it was interesting. You, we saw the the panel with one of your guys and our guys together. Uh, like Herb Lawrence joined Lawrence Holmes and uh, Josh and Jim, like up on a panel, which was cool. And then Barstool Dave was there and joined the 108 guys. So yeah, it was. It was fun. Reggie's a uh, pretty good venue for it, but you know, a little birdie told me it might be uh, might be bigger next year, from what I heard. So nice. you know, just because like they, I think they could have sold more tickets. There was a lot of people looking for tickets, and you know, it's just like a limited space venue. So yeah, next year I think uh, we might have. I'm gonna I'm gonna break 108 news on the, on the podcast, but I think it's gonna be somewhere else, um, so we can get some more people in and uh, go from there. But yeah, I appreciate everybody that that came over and said hello and meeting new faces is uh, it's always a fun time. Yeah. It's all, it's an awesome event. I, I love the engagement. Sox Fest, you know, it's been missing for several years now and uh, all the guys of the 108 so friendly to us and welcoming. And we've had beef loaf on multiple times. It, it's good stuff. They, they create a lot of great content. So as we move forward here, James, on the conversation that we're having, the questions that were posed to us on Twitter by our listeners uh, were really thought provoking. And I wanted to start with this uh, Cuba dugout, Phil Selig, our guy, we talked to him about a lot of the international signings uh, in the past. Uh, he posed this question and asked about Gilbert Sanchez. Now he thought that he may be a, a roster casualty and maybe picked up in the rule five draft, but he's still with the white Sox and Gilbert Sanchez was eligible for the rule five. And yet nobody took him and he was left off the White Sox 40 man roster. What's up with that one? Yeah. So he was eligible. I mean, he was a guy that like we kind of talked about, like, I just think he's a guy that wasn't going to be selected because he struggled in triple a. He just, you know, he, he kind of just has shown that he doesn't really impact the baseball that much, but you know, he can play defense at second and short and, you know, he did hit well in double a Birmingham. So I feel like if he has somewhat of a decent year, at Charlotte, like he is immediate infield depth. Um, you know, I think it's a utility profile for sure. The White Sox kind of showed you who they thought their most important guys were to protect. Like they, you know, they protected Jose Rodriguez and Brian Ramos. Like we talked about, those were both no brainers. Yobert, I think was part of that discussion, but they opted to just leave him unprotected and it paid off because nobody took him. So, um, he could get a spring training invite, I guess, maybe. Um, but there's a lot of infielders on the 40 man, but yeah, I mean, he should, he'll be in Charlotte and, you know, he'll get an opportunity to be like immediate infield depth for the White Sox, but he definitely, you know, he'll have to have a much better year, I think, to get called up just to basically give the White Sox much with the bat at this point, but you know, it was a two and a half million dollars signing out of Cuba. Um, he can definitely play defense in the big league. So we'll see how it goes with the bat in Charlotte this season. Cause that's, you know, very likely where he'll start. So he ultimately played over a hundred games in Charlotte with about a 680 OPS. I bring that up because I remember when the White Sox signed him, he had experience playing in the Cuban national team at shortstop. So he was playing professional caliber infield at the time that they signed him. But the question was, could he 
put together quality at bats and handle stateside action. And at the big league level, could he produce to the point where he could be a major league player and be um, somewhat valuable or replacement level at the plate? Well, in 2021, he burst on the scene. I mean, it was his best offensive season by far across his career and dominated in double A, especially to end the year. And that was encouraging, like you were talking about, James, uh, and ultimately spent pretty much his entire season in triple A in 2022. Um, so Yolbert Sanchez thing was curious to me because I thought following his 2021, I was expecting Yolbert to be ahead of the pack. I thought he would be ahead of Lenin Sosa and Jose Rodriguez. Um, and even maybe Romy Gonzalez. I don't know. Um, I think he's the most athletically prepared player to be at the big league level at this point. But Yolbert kind of disappointed me in 2022. Uh, nothing against his performance because I think, you know, how, or how he performed last year is what he is. Um, probably could be a little bit better at the plate if he refined some skills. But I need to temper my expectations for Yolbert Sanchez. And I think uh, last year was a pretty good indicator as, as, to, as to that feeling. So uh, continue to monitor Yolbert. He's another depth piece that needs to be added to the 40-man for the White Sox to um, you know ultimately call him up at the big league level. So let's move on here. Here's another question. At Paul Durdash one who could be the next Davis Martin pop-up starting pitcher getting to the major league ball club? James, there are two that we can, we, we've been referencing really all off seasons. It's Jason Billis and Sean Burke. Billis struggled last year. Sean Burke is skyrocketing, but Burke, a year and a half of experience, you're kind of holding your breath. You don't want to get too ahead of your skis on him. Um, a more developed prospect out of college. Jason Billis was added to the 40-man following the 2021 year. I'm getting all my dates confused here, but um, those are the two names that are on our radar. I don't know who else could essentially emerge. Yeah, I mean, it would have to be somebody out of nowhere. I mean, Davis Martin kind of came out of nowhere. We heard reports from Instructs that he was throwing a little bit harder, but then it wasn't until the minor league season started where we heard from guys like Jack McMullen and others that the stuff was really going to play. And then really quickly after that, he was in the big league. So like Davis Martin was a 14th rounder a few years back in the same draft as Jason Billis. So I guess like that's a good answer, but Jay, but Billis is on the 40 man, right? So I just think it's tough. I don't, I don't know if there's going to be another Davis Martin pop-up prospect. Um, but those, those type of guys like Sean Burke was a third rounder. So I just think the pedigree is a little bit higher, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's an option, a guy from the last draft, Jonathan Cannon. I don't think it's to the majors this year, but I mean, he could end in double A or even make starts in triple A. I mean, that's a guy who um, I think is likely going to move quickly. And then a guy, another guy to keep an eye on, Tyler Schweitzer, was a fifth rounder out of Ball State. Like I said, like probably for 2024, not 2023, but that's just another college starter who could move through the system quickly. Um, not in the same vein as Davis Martin, though, obviously. Yeah, I like the Schweitzer mention. That makes sense to me. And I, I guess we shouldn't count out Jonathan Stever, James. I think Stever, you know, he has to prove to be healthy, but the White Sox have been high on him for years. 
I don't know how you feel about Jonathan Stever at this point of his career. So he's on the 40 man. The one thing I'm curious about is I don't know if they're just going to like take him and, and put him in the bullpen and watch his stuff play up like after last year. So we'll see. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he should be starting pitching depth. I don't know how many innings he can give you after the lat tear and not pitching last year. Um, he came back for Charlotte late in the year and was pitching out, out of the pen, I think, in like solo innings. So if all of a sudden Jonathan Stever is like converted to relief in like a Jimmy Lambert role, like in spring training, that wouldn't really surprise me at this stage. Yeah, you can't mess with a lat. So our next question comes from Jacob Shiner. He's at Jacob underscore Shiner on Twitter. And he asked which highly touted prospects have underperformed that you are still holding out hope for and why. Uh, James, I'll throw to you. I have a couple in mind, but James, please kick us off with that one. So one guy that we've like talked about already, Eric Hernandez. I just I like the profile. I think he'll be better stateside than he was in the Dominican Summer League, and he's only like 17 years old. So that's one. Um, but on the pitching side, for me, it's always going to be Jared Kelly. I mean, I I can't quit Jared Kelly. He bounced back a little bit last year. Finally, got his bearings. But, I mean, I'm not going to say it's a make-or-break season for Jared Kelly, um, but it's an important one for sure just to kind of see how many innings he can get before, you know, the White Sox kind of need to make a decision on him because we've talked to a lot of people who project him to the bullpen anyway, and if that's the case, like, you know, they could begin that transition at some point, you know, if he's just not going to rack up innings and improve some of the things that he needs to improve as a starter. So those are uh, those are the two that I'll go with. Do I dare bring up Andrew Dahlquist? I mean, I can't quit this kid. I I don't know. He's just, um, he hasn't been good really at all. But I'm holding out hope for Dahlquist because he's got a four-pitch mix. And I still believe in his mechanics. It's just, man, he's got to fill up the strike zone. He's got to stop walking people. He gives up hard contact. And yeah, it may sound like, uh, you know, there's not a lot of hope there, but... This is a guy who, if he can refine his stuff, I believe can translate to at least an upper level minor league starting pitcher. And the White Sox have essentially none in AAA. And if he can get to AAA, then yeah, maybe Andrew Dahlquist can pitch in the big league someday. But I'm not giving up hope there. Yep, jury's out, obviously, on Andrew Dahlquist, and we'll see where he starts. I think Matthew Thompson, who we've lumped together, kind of vaulted past him. Like, I, I think Thompson's mm-hmm. going to start in double A, and if he made starts in triple, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Chris Getz has mentioned Matthew Thompson in the the Sean Burke group. So, you know, tells you what they think about that guy. Yeah, the Matthew Thompson thing, definitely. Uh, they've separated themselves. Matthew Thompson has really jumped up the board within the White Sox system. And in our last top 30, which reminds me that the future Sox top 30 has to get started on, James. And um, we look at Andrew Dawkins at the end of the year, ranked at number 26 overall in the top 30. Um, he was a third-round draft pick in 2019, so can't give up on them. Also, Norhe Vera. <laughs> Norhe Vera hasn't thrown a lot. But the, I, I thought he was the number one prospect in the system for a while because he's just massive and he throws really hard. And to me, the mechanics suggest that he's a big league pitcher. Now, you know, my my hopes were that he could translate into a starter, but it's more and more looking like a back end reliever type. He's underperformed because he hasn't pitched very much. I'm going to keep a close eye on Mr. Norhe Vera this year. So th- those are my guys. Um, to your question. So we appreciate your participation. The next question I have, James, is from Brian C. Mastin, Traveling Mastin on Twitter. 
With Tanner McDougal finally getting to pitch, where do you think he will pitch, Kannapolis or Winston? Now, I can't wait to watch Tanner McDougal work. It's a guy who suffered Tommy John surgery out of high school and unfortunately missed um, following the White Sox taking a chance on the hard-throwing right-hander and ultimately signing him out of the fifth round in 2021. Sucks that we haven't seen him pitch, but he's throwing. And to me, James, I think they really take it easy on McDougal. He's young. I think at the beginning of the year, he begins in, in extended spring. They want to keep an eye on him and, and like monitor him without stressing him out in live game situations. And then he'll go to Kannapolis. I just I think you take it slow with McDougal, but by the end of the year, if he's healthy, and I'm talking like all goes well, Winston Salem is not out of the question because the White Sox in the past have been aggressive, and especially with the restructuring of the way that the minor leagues, um, you know, without short season great falls. I, I think there's reason to believe that McDougal, especially considering how talented he is in the spin rate um, with his breaking pitches and his fastball, is like, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Tanner McDougal. I want to see him work, but I think the White Sox are going to take it slow with this right-hander. Extended spring, Kannapolis, and then ultimately give him a chance to to make it to Winston. Yeah, I think it all just kind of depends on what, what his innings limit is. I'm not sure what it is. Like, we're kind of talking similarly with Noah Schultz, so... I think if those guys pitch in Kannapolis at some point, like I'm good with that. I think we talked about like a hundred innings and probably max for Noah Schultz. I don't know if it'll even be quite that many for Tanner, but just seeing him on the mound will be interesting. You know, those two guys and Peyton Paulette, like working his way back too, could all pitch in Kannapolis like pretty early in the season. Um, you know, I think in future weeks we're gonna do like a pitching show where we go through and kind of try to figure out what these minor league rotations are going to look like. And outside of Charlotte, I think those rotations are going to be pretty good. We have our guy, Ed Casey, checking in. Appreciate you listening and always being a part of our uh, our future Sox family, Ed. We really, uh, we really enjoy seeing your name pop up as frequently as we see it. Makes us feel good. He's at KCW Sox. He says, hello, of the prospects that were pushed up to partake in Project Birmingham, which prospects would you like to see start off the 2023 season with the Barons, and which do you believe will be reassigned back to Winston-Salem? That's a good question. My immediate thought goes to West Cath. I think West Cath begins the year in uh, Advanced A, and I'm curious what your opinion is about Colson Montgomery, James, as well. I mean, I, I talked to, obviously I mentioned West Cath, and I think Jared Kelly is also another one that you don't want to necessarily push him too far. You want to be able to control the type of talent that he's pitching against because like for a guy like Jared Kelly, you don't want to put him against advanced hitters in double A if his stuff isn't playing. You want to get guys out. You don't want to hurt him by having him throw extended innings, you know, 30 pitch innings. That's my thought process there with Kelly. But to Colson Montgomery, I, I think he's ready for double A. I think Colson Montgomery is ready for double A, but I wouldn't be surprised if they started him in Winston just to like go back and have some success and then send him. But I mean, look like he's got to play shortstop every day, but I also think they want Jose Rodriguez to play shortstop every day. And if Lennon Sosa's in Charlotte with Yolbert, I I just don't know. It kind of depends. So, you know, like Jose Rodriguez could be the shortstop in Charlotte, with Colson Montgomery in Birmingham. And I think ultimately like Birmingham's probably his destination, but if they did something based on their other moves here, where they started Colson and Winston, it wouldn't be that much of a surprise to me. I will say like somebody like Brian Ramos should be, he'll be the third baseman in Birmingham. I would think guys like 
Christian ha- or Christian Hackenberg. Jeez, that would mm-hmm. that would be crazy. <laughs> Adam Hackenberg is probably in double A and you know, maybe even some of your recent college, like later picks like that Terrell Tatum out of NC State and some of those guys were in Project Purpose. So those guys could stay in Birmingham, I would think too. But um, yeah, like out of out of the top guys, I think Colson Montgomery is the biggest question. And then we'll see what they ultimately do. Christian Mena, I think, is definitely in the double A rotation. We don't really know about Norhe Vera though. That that one's a little interesting. Those guys just they need innings more so than you know, what level they're starting at. Yeah, we want to give Doug uh, Wirtz, uh, apologies if I mispronounced your name, but at D-W-W-E-E-R-T-S on Twitter, um, he posed the Colson Montgomery question, and uh, we're on the same wavelength because we're wondering about Colson Montgomery's landing spot as well. Uh, before we wrap up the podcast, you mentioned Brian Ramos, and I'm, I'm curious, James, what's the next step for Brian Ramos? I, I want to see, I'd love to see him play second base, but I think he's more of a corner. Um, and I, I'm really focused on his bat playing. He's bigger than I anticipated when I'm seeing videos of Brian Ramos work. It's really encouraging to see his size, um, but I think he does stick at a corner. Yeah, I think he'll stay at third. I, You know, I, I mean, first base would be like a death sentence, right? I mean, that's what I think what we kind of, worried about was that but I mean all indications are that he should be able to stay at third he's even played some second it's a big year for him I mean if he hits at double a like he's hit at Winston and some of the other places like he's probably going to be a top 100 prospect this year he's right on the verge I mean I think he's like three or four in this system depending on how people look at Noah Schultz so yeah Ramos is an interesting guy and he's still I think like only 20 or 21 and He'll be in double A. And I always say, like, when you're in double A, you're pretty close to the big leagues. He's on the 40 man. He will be in big league spring training. Um, so, yeah, Brian Ramos, one of the more interesting prospects in the system. I think you'd like to see him walk a little bit more um, and continue to hit for the power that he's hit for. But um, he's, he's like one of the more exciting young guys in the system. Thank you for all the questions. Appreciate your participation. We're at Future Socks on Twitter. That's where all of these questions were submitted. You could also send us an email, futuresocks at gmail.com at any time to get your question answered on this here podcast. I check it all the time. Uh, James, thanks for everything that you do for Future Socks. It's always a pleasure talking to you, sir. I don't, man, uh, there's so many things changing with the White Sox organization. I'm starting to get lost in the years now because we're starting to separate from 2019. Essentially, that was, for me, uh, the first draft class that I really focused in on the White Sox um, development path. And now we're in 2023. The international signing period's coming up in January 15th. So go White Sox, I guess. There's a lot of turnover happening. Yeah, Sunday's, you know, it's a fun day for me. Like the the old July 2nd is... Uh... January 15th now, which is a little bit strange, but I mean, even for people that aren't super plugged into that market, like if you go on Twitter on Sunday, you're going to see like a lot of the signings. And I always, I always get a kick out of like teenagers, like sitting there with their parents, like putting their Washington nationals hat on after they got like three and a half million dollars to sign. So, you know, stuff like that. Uh, it's a really cool story for those kids. You know, a lot of them don't really make it past double a, some of them are, the biggest stars in baseball. So the international period, um, you know, one of the most important parts of the year for front offices, like in the talent procurement stage, like along with the draft and, you know, it's, it's Sunday. And for people like me, it's uh, quite interesting. 
Now, those who are interested in this podcast and like what you heard, I'd like to recommend Maria Torres to you in an episode that we did interviewing Maria Torres of The Athletic. Um, At the time, uh, she had covered a story about, uh, and we talked about this briefly, about how these young players are doing whatever it takes to get stateside and signed, and some of them who work with agency, um, and I I use air quotes, agency out in, in Dominican and in Cuba, it's... It's pretty shady out there. There's a lot of things, especially at a young age, that are going on with the way that they move um, or that they use the talent as leverage. They, as in the agencies representing these talents uh, for personal gain, and it all starts super young. So it was really fascinating, um, the dynamic there, and it really sheds a lot of light on what the players go through just to get here. So if you want more, go ahead and listen to this. Just search that episode um, in our playlist and be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a comment. If you like what you heard here at Future Sox, it was really good. You know, a little biased, but I just want you to know that one. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Future Sox podcast. We drop episodes every Tuesday. We were a little late this week, but we appreciate your patience. And we thank you again for your engagement. Until next Tuesday, for James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next time.